If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. At the ripe old age of 21, Joshua Harris wrote his best-selling book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It sold over 1.2 million copies. While chatting at a birthday party not long ago, my friend Hannah and I realized we had both read the book as teens and bonded over how intensely it shaped our attitudes towards sex and romance growing up. So today we welcome our friend Hannah Smith, whom you may know from the hit true crime podcast, The Opportunist, as we dive into the content of the book, the impressions it left on Justin and Hannah as teens, and Josh Harris's renunciation of the book and pivot away from Christianity. We talked to Hannah for quite a while, so today will be part one of the interview, and you'll hear the rest next week. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves. And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too. I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach. I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. So we've been off for a while. Um, We're back. Stuff's happened. Oh my God. We got COVID. We got COVID finally. Um, I was like in between accents there, but. Yeah, we're doing a lot of like, I thought I might never get it. Yeah. Like I escaped COVID for three years, but it got us. I thought I was better than everyone else. All you suckers getting sick. But no, so we did finally get COVID. It's true. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> I got both my parents sick with COVID as well. They're fine. Um, <laughs> uh, we got, I was getting COVID like on moving day, moving in yeah. with Dan. So I felt super crazy in my body. And yeah. then watched too much Game of Thrones. Well, then we both kind of got depressed. Yeah, then we got depressed because... Well, I think it was partly because I watched too much Game of Thrones and I became You're just so determined to get this Game of Thrones. I became so depressed. Um, you were like, um, stopped watching beginning of season four. Ugh. And yeah, I just got really depressed because of, you know, the fatigue was so bad. I hear everyone talk about the fatigue, the fatigue, but I was like, uh huh, uh huh. No, it was really, I, I feel bad that I didn't, you know, validate those people enough or something because I had never experienced fatigue like that personally. I could not wake up in the morning. It was just, it was wretched. Yeah. Um, but here we are, we're living together. I think it's going to be really fun. <laughs> I know. Cause it, I mean, it has been, it, it's just, you know, 
there's so much buildup and yeah. I've, I've never lived with a boyfriend. So there was a lot of buildup and, um, a lot of sort of, I think pressure I was placing on myself, like to be happy right away yeah, and being like, you know, this is like a happy time. This should be a happy time yeah. and we should be like celebrating, but like we weren't feeling that way, you know, cause it right. was just like all like just being in the space of the house with all my boxes and not being able to organize anything. Cause I was feeling too lousy was just kind of a nightmare for me. Right. Um, also there is the element where you had been feeling really happy for quite a while. I know. I like soared through the summer. I soared all summer. I was soaring for three full months, maybe even four months. And, but you kept worrying about when it was gonna the energy of that yeah. was going to I was like it can't last because I, I was like freaked out by how happy I was. Yeah. And then when you did get depressed, I think we were both kind of bracing for whether that was gonna be like a longer like extended depression. And I, I also just, I wasn't depressed at first, but then I got really depressed for a couple of days. I think it was one of those things where, you know, how like, um, sometimes even when something good happens, a lot of grief can come up. I think I was experiencing that in part along with the fatigue. So something good being me moving in. Yeah. And just that being like a major change, I was feeling that in my body. Um, and it was hard because I felt like it was hard for me to connect with you because I was just going through that. That felt like something I needed to kind of sit with, um, for myself. Yeah. Yeah. But don't worry, everyone. We're feeling more connected now. Um, <laughs> no, you know, we had a we had a housewarming party towards the end of October. It's almost, you know, November. So uh -huh. um, and that party was like kind of like a, a turning point, I think, because sort of came out of all the crap that was October. And um and had like some really healing dance moments we had yeah. like a dance party um yeah. and that felt pretty blissful um yeah it felt great yeah and we're gonna have we're gonna get to this interview in a bit but um we needed a break to kind of regroup because it was a lot going on um with i had the show that i played and Justin moving in, um, but we're feeling really good about um, expanding ourselves in this podcast. Um, I don't know if expanding ourselves is right at all, but uh, just like having the break, uh, allowing us to think about what we want the podcast to be going forward and what type of people, what type of voices we want to have on here and... Um, yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. We talked about that you guys could just give context for like how this book landed in your hands. Yeah. Like what was going on? What was set the scene? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Hannah, you were 
living in Oklahoma, I presume. Yeah. Oh, are we, have we started? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going. Should we start? <laughs> in, unless you want to, unless we want to like, do we no. need to like lube ourselves up a little bit? What did you say? Do we need to like, like, um, just like check in? How's everybody feeling? <laughs> yeah. I think that could be nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How are you feeling, Justin? Oh my gosh. The echo is back. Oh no. <laughs> and you didn't touch anything? Yes, I did. Sorry, that's my fault. Okay. That did goes you fix gone. it? Yeah, I fixed yeah. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, nice knowing that Echo could come back at any second, though. Yeah. Frankly. Keeps really keeps, keeps me honest. Yeah. So <sighs> we're going to discuss uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye or How I Kiss Dating Goodbye. So the official title of the book is I Kissed Dating Goodbye a new attitude toward romance and relationships. Mm -hmm. So I never read this book. Um, I wasn't also not raised Christian in any way. Um, So I want to know, I I feel like I'm going to kind of just want to be like the outsider in this conversation, but I want to know, yeah, like for both of you, I want to know the context for this book coming into your life and, you know, what that process was of, of delving in. Should I go first? Okay. So I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I think I was probably like an early teen, maybe like 14 or something. And, um, so I grew up very Christian evangelical in Oklahoma and it was, pretty insular. I ended up going to a public high school, but before that I'd gone to all Christian schools, very small. 99% of my community and interactions were with people that believed exactly the same thing as me. Mostly I did have like one secular neighbor who introduced me to things like the Spice Girls and like a few (laughs) things that I... Got exposure. I mean, one secular neighbor sounds like something. (laughs) It sounds like a show. It sounds like a movie. I don't know. Yeah. One secular neighbor. (laughs) Wait, can we get context for the neighbor? Like, was, was, was that like, was that a big deal that this person was secular? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, so she was like one of, she was my only friend really who Mm -hmm. wasn't Christian. And she was grew up across the street from me and we became really good friends. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, we were, we were close, but yeah, I was like very aware that she and her family weren't Christians. Um, but then as I got older, it was sort of like a fun, like escape. Whereas like I both wanted to be a really good Christian because I took my spirituality very seriously Um, but then like, I was also becoming a teenager. And so I would go over to her house and we would listen to like whatever was on the radio at that time, which I wasn't Mm -hmm. allowed to listen to. We would watch, you know, she had cable. I would watch like full house, like very benign things that I wasn't allowed to do. (laughs) Listen to the Spice Girls. So it was like sort of this, uh, peek into the world, which was meaningful. That is so when you were talking about that, I had this yeah. flash memory of, you know, we would go 
over to people's houses when I was growing up who they were members of the church that we were in. But this one family, for whatever reason, I think they were just more like, um, like more loose or like more like relaxed with music, especially, and maybe just in general. But I remember this one night that I was like, okay, all the kids would like hang out in the basement because that was like, where like, you know, they had like the rec room and it was like fun. That's where we could like listen to music. All the parents were upstairs, like doing Bible study or whatever. And we went downstairs and this girl's name was Rachel, I think. And she had like, you know, she had like, like brown hair, like really thick brown hair. And she wore those like, um, those headbands that were like the zigzag, like headbands. (laughs) You you like, they're like in a circle, like small, but then you like put them on your hair and you like flip your hair over and they like expand, you know, and just like (laughs) hold your hair in this like formation. Anyway, we were, it was like around the time that Oops, I Did It Again came out. (laughs) I had never heard that music before. Wow. (laughs) I was probably like nine or 10 years old. I don't remember. And she was dancing like the way that Britney would dance. And I would just like, I was like, (gasps) like gasping, like, you know, like I just like, I couldn't even believe how she was dancing. And I was like trying to like copy that. And it was like, it was like, I think my sexual awakening was like that night, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's so powerful when when you're not exposed to those things and you're like learning about the world. I mean, as a kid anyway, as a young person for the first time, but then I don't know. That's such a powerful moment. And I love that it happens in a basement of like where the parents are upstairs. Like that's just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah, just to check, you are recording on your phone, right? Yes. Okay. That's all you got from this, Dan. No, no. I understand this. So if I'm hearing this correctly, are you recording on your phone? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You wait until I'm like crying and you're like, just to check in, are you recording? Um, what uh, iOS are you using? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I, I don't know. I identified with that so much. My friend, my, my secular neighbor, Emma, um, is wonderful. Uh, we kind of lost touch, but she's great. And um, yeah, like I remember there was one time because I also tying back into like some this book later, um, dressed, you know, had to dress very like conservatively and modestly had to wear like loose clothes covering up everything because of the idea that like that your uh you have to not that your body could be like a dangerous thing to make someone else lust after you particularly men and so like I would always wear you know like one of my friends wasn't even allowed to wear like tank tops um and I could but not like a spaghetti strap you know So I would go over to Emma's house and then like, I would try on her clothes just to like, see what my body looked like in a tight tank top, you know? And then of course I knew I wouldn't be able to like wear that out into the world, but it was like this, this little, um, moment that I could have that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like your window into like, if, if I ever were able to wear this, like, this is what it would look like, you know, that's just like your like secret little world. Yeah. 
So, yeah. but then I guess I guess didn't <laughs> goodbye to get, I guess. Yeah. So when I was, um, an early teenager, this book started to be everywhere. I mean, I looked it up, um, actually before this and it sold 1.2 million copies. And if you weren't like tapped into the Christian, um, contemporary Christian, like music or media at all books, you might not have heard of it, but it was, if you were at all tapped into that at the time, you definitely heard about this book. And the whole concept is that you, um, the writer Joshua Harris is um, suggesting that dating is basically a sin that like, that, that the new way of dating would be getting to know someone with the idea that you might marry them. And so if you're not going to marry someone, you shouldn't even date them. You should, you know, and it's, it goes way deeper into that. But I think how it, if, you know, at my, the time in my life, it was like, I was definitely starting to think about, do I want to date people? Do I have a crush on someone at youth group? Mm-hmm. Definitely lots of crushes mm-hmm. at youth group. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, I also was like, well, I'm not ready to get married. So <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, you're how old at this point? Like probably, early high school, like early teens, 15, like 15, 14, yeah. 16, maybe ish. Yeah. And I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not ready to get married at 15. Like, <laughs> was yeah. this the type oh, of no. book though, where like your parents knew you were reading it? Like it was like. Or was it like through your peers that you came into this book, you know? I think I came into it through my peers. Yeah. I don't know if my parents knew I was reading it, but I think they would have been supportive of it because they were definitely. Right. Um, It wasn't like I wasn't yeah. allowed to date, but I sort of wasn't allowed to date. Like, okay, it would have had to be like, this is very serious and maybe moving toward like a serious right. thing like marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I, I come from like Jewish ancestry, but my mom had the same exact thing where her dad like wouldn't let her go to dances with people who weren't Jewish. So it wasn't like she couldn't date at all, but there was still like some, some of this. And was that at all when you were growing up? Was there a pressure no. to only date Jewish people? No, there was just like championing of Jewishness. There was like being Jewish is very cool. Um, kind of vibes or like if a celebrity was Jewish, it was like, you know, they're Jewish. Like, you know, it was like very cool. Like who? Like which celebrity? Like there was, a, there was a, an offensive lineman on the San Francisco 49ers who was Jewish, <laughs> Harris Barton. And I met him and got an autograph at Sports Mart in Emeryville. When I was a kid. That's amazing. Wow. Um, Hannah, will you talk a little bit about like how you would write in your diary about, you know, you know, the, the, your crushes, right. In youth group. Yeah. And how you viewed that. Yeah. Okay. So oh, I wish I, I should have gotten my diary out. Um, but I, uh, I guess, okay. To, so to give context, like the terminology is like brothers and sisters in Christ. So, um, you know, any, when I would go to the youth group, it was like any of the men were my brothers in Christ, women were my sisters in Christ. And it, but it's, it gets like a little like, um, incestuous language wise, because some of the 
teachings about specifically to women about like, not just like not dressing in like a revealing or sexual manner, whatever that means, but being like very like in check with yourself. Don't like gaze into someone's eyes too long or whatever um, mm. is all about put into this context of don't make your brother in Christ stumble by lusting after you. And when you really break that down, it's like, don't make your brother lust after you. <laughs> right, right. Which, you know, I don't know, it didn't seem weird to me at the time. But um, but it's been many years now, and I was going through my diary, um, like, I don't know, last six months or a year. And it's actually the first time I've revisited those diaries because I just couldn't stomach it for so many years. It was like, would crack it open and be like, nope, I'm not going to yeah. read this. Um, too painful, um, because there just weren't very many like fun, lighthearted entries. It was a lot of like teen angst channeled into this like deep desire to be a, like do the right thing and be like pleasing to God and so much anxiety about, am I disappointing God? Um, so then I like hit puberty and I start having crushes on people and like, you know, I'm st- I'm going to youth group. I'm like, it's because I want to like study the Bible, but really, I'm like, who's going to be there? And um, but then I was channeling all of that into these like really sincere, long journal entries about like my brothers in Christ and how like I wanted to like just encourage them to be better Christians, but then like. Would kind of veer into like how they were really like sexy or good looking, and then I'm like <laughs> writing this thing about like how my brother is like handsome, and like I'm like if anyone found this, they'd be like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> this very confused fifteen year old. Um, but yeah, it was like it's funny to think back about that. Even in my diary, I couldn't just be like honest with myself about mm. that because God is always watching. <laughs> you know, God is even reading yeah. your diary. But, um, but yeah, it was a lot of like tampering down, like tampering down, trying to contain my, my, my like sexuality to something that could be like not out of control. And I think that really ties into this book and the culture at large. Like, I mean, the book opens with, um, this like story about this, this, this man and woman who are like getting married, like. And I think it's like she's walking down the aisle. I think we should actually read this, this first page and a half. Yeah. I think like, is that okay with you? Yeah. (laughs) I think that it's, I mean, this is like a really wild um, story or parable, I guess, that was dreamt up ostensibly by the author. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think I just want to read that whole first little page and a half. Okay. Okay. So, um, here we go. So this book opens with the following parable. It was finally here. Anna's wedding day, the day she had dreamed about and planned for months. The small picturesque church was crowded with fam family and friends. Sunlight poured through the stained glass windows and the gentle music of a string quartet filled the air. Anna walked down the aisle toward David. Joy surged within her. This was the moment for which she had waited so long. 
He gently took her hand and they turned toward the altar. But as the minister began to lead Anna and David through their vows, the unthinkable happened. A girl stood up in the middle of the congregation, walked quietly toward the altar and took David's other hand. Another girl approached and stood next to the first, followed by another. Soon, a chain of six girls stood beside him as he repeated his vows to Anna. Anna felt her lip begin to quiver as tears welled up in her eyes. Is this some kind of joke? She whispered to David. I'm, I'm sorry, Anna, he said, staring at the floor. Who are these girls, David? What's going on? She gasped. They're girls from my past, he answered sadly. Anna, they don't mean anything to me now, but I've given my part of my heart to each of them. I thought your heart was mine, she said. It is, it is, he pleaded. Everything that's left is yours. A tear rolled down Anna's cheek. Then she woke up. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about that or should we let Justin uh Well, talk yeah, about I think this book? I, we we should let Justin talk about when when you like first Ooh. got the book in your hand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or the other book. Or the other yeah. book. When Josh <laughs> yeah. Harris came into your So yeah, the context of your here. Heart. Say say that again, Dan. The moment that Josh uh Harris took a part of your heart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean In like preparing for this episode, I realized that I don't think I actually read the book. I kissed dating goodbye. I think I read Joshua Harris's other book, which was written after I kissed dating goodbye, um, called boy meets girl in which he sort of proves big air quotes that his approach to dating, AKA courtship, you know, godly courtship works because he meets this woman Shannon who he then marries and it's like wonderful and blissful and all of that. So um but yeah, I don't but this book was very present for me. I kissed dating goodbye was was in it was in conversations, it was in the culture, it was I don't even know if it was given to me or if I just sort of like, yeah, I absorbed it like through osmosis. So, um, you were how old? I was probably similarly to Hannah. I was maybe, yeah, I was probably in high school. And when I'm, when I read boy meets girl, I think I was probably around 17 at the time. So this would have been in, in like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and the messaging in that book was, it was a lot of the same messaging, right? It was like, you know, it's not enough to save yourself for marriage, meaning don't have sex until you're married. It's like all of the, like, I'm worth the weight stuff but taken to the next level, which is like, you shouldn't even kiss before marriage, you know, like you shouldn't think about your partner sexually or else you're lusting and you're like living for, not for God, you're living for sin. So I read the book and I just remember like, it really did tap into, um, 
all these fears and all these, all this guilt that I had about, um, yeah, that the, I was like really on the wrong track when it came to just like, yeah, the person that I was like who I am is not good. Like I am actually inherently very bad. And, um, And this sort of like proves all of the fears that I had, like everything that I just felt inside that didn't have a name. Like, I know that I'm bad, but I don't really know what to call that. It was sort of like, well, this is why you feel so guilty. It's because like you're living for, you're living for your own pleasure. You're being selfish, you know? So at that time, you know, I had been dating somebody pretty seriously for a while. I don't know exactly how long at this point, but you know, we were having sex at that time. And I think I, I found this book, I read this book and it culminated in me like writing a letter to my boyfriend at the time being like, I think we should stop having sex. Wow. (laughs) Like, like, I just think it's going to be better if we don't do that you know, which of course like didn't stick, but, um, it really like a handwritten letter. It was a handwritten letter. Yeah. I don't know how to type very well. (laughs) No, it was, it was handwritten. And I remember the look on his face, his face just kind of like fell (laughs) as he he reads this letter, you know, (laughs) this is not the letter he wanted to receive. Yeah. What did he think? He probably thought the letter was way better. (laughs) What'd you say, Dan? He probably thought the letter was something cool. (laughs) Right. It was not the letter he expected or wanted. Um, but yeah, it, it just led to me. It didn't lead to me. Um, stop. It didn't cause me to stop having sex. It just led me to continue yeah. having sex, but feel like way worse about it basically. Wow. Yeah. When, yeah. When yeah. you were saying Hannah about, uh, feeling like you're the thing about not letting your gaze sit too long with someone like the idea that, <laughs> I mean, this is, I didn't have this messaging exactly. So it's really striking me just that you like that there's these people who need this from you out there. Like you're being generous or like doing them doing well by them by behaving in these ways. I just can only imagine as a child, like how impressionable, how much of an impression that would leave. I mean, yeah, like it's, I think it ties into it. You were saying, Justin, I just like identify with so much of that, this feeling of, uh, this deep worry that like, I am bad. And, um, this, this type of messaging only just like plays into that fear and worry and like amplifies it. And you are like, we were, we're then sort of forced into this like struggle of trying to celebrate ourselves and experience pleasure, which also constantly in this book. And I think it sounds like in the book you read too, like every other page, basically pleasure and sin are associated. Your own pleasure is a sin. Your own pleasure is a sin. That's a message that gets like pounded into you over and over and over again, which is just like terrible, you know, then how do you, how do you like celebrate experiencing pleasure? Um, and, 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 you know, there's one thing which is like, maybe some people read it and or hear the messaging and then they don't have sex or they 
kind of shut themselves off from feeling like a sexual person, which is really sad, but also maybe you do have sex and then you're just ridden with like guilt and feeling terrible about yourself, Mm. which also happened to me once I started having sex, I wasn't married. And even at that time, cause I was in my like early twenties and I sort of intellectually was like, I don't think I believe this anymore. I don't think this is healthy, but it was so ingrained that I still struggled with that, with like mm-hmm. feeling like, oh, maybe I'm sinning, maybe I'm bad. And then like just compounding, feeling so bad about myself, you know? So I, I identify yeah. with that as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was listening to, um, Joshua Harris being interviewed on this podcast before. Um, Wait, can what? can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, please. I had an idea because I, 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 there's so much content of him now. Yeah. There's very little content of him from back then oh, that yeah. you can find. Interesting. But I did record on my phone some clips of this series that's on YouTube of him from that time that's called searching for love just to like kind of set the mood. I thought I could play some of the recording. I would love that. Okay. I'm going to play this clip and hopefully it'll sound okay. Well says in Proverbs 19, 22, what a man desires is unfailing love what a man desires is unfailing love you know even though those words were written thousands of years ago they still resonate in our hearts don't they that's what people are looking for they're looking for love that's real love that's going to last love that's not going to let them down we're all searching for true love the question is where are we going to find it? It seems these days that people are looking for love in all the wrong places. There are over 3,000 dating services in America today. Every year they rake in over a billion dollars. Countless websites are devoted to finding love. See, our problem is that we don't even know what love is these days. And that really complicates things. You couldn't hear it at the end? I didn't hear the very end. I don't know what happened. Hmm. Oh, weird. Did you hear the end, Justin? I did. Okay. He what said, he? see our problem these days. And I don't understand what <laughs> Yeah, accent, why does he have what, this accent? What, what the accent is. It sounds like a Southern <laughs> accent. Um, he said, see our problem these days is we don't know what love is anymore. Yeah. That was all he said. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the like, the... The chutzpah, if I may. Yes, you may. Of a 21-year-old man <laughs> saying this this thing in this tone is, I just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just say that, that you know, in the book, it's, it's truly wild the way he talks about his disillusionment because he, you know, he talks about how he in junior high, he starts being interested in girls. Girls are interested in him. He says that he even sneaks out of the house one night for a prearranged meeting with three girls. And he says he 
made out with each of them <laughs> one after the other. If you can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> and then and now you and now you. <laughs> and then when he's 15, he meets Kelly and they date for two years and they break up. And then after this breakup, he feels so disillusioned. He says, I felt desperate for an alternative to the cycle of short-term relationships in which I found myself. So I'm like, you're 17. <laughs> you had one relationship. Yeah, your whole life is short-term. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> one relationship like, for two years, which is pretty long, considering you've only lived for 17 years. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's that. There's, that's pretty laughable. But, I mean, I, there's a lot that's easy to laugh about. But um, I don't know how to refocus myself because I'm just dizzy well, with that Well, I think content. let's talk about the energy of that because yeah. obviously it's so dated sounding sure um but this is like 1998 probably i'm guessing this is after the book that this this uh, series was filmed i don't know um but it's like <laughs> talking about well it's, i mean also it's i don't know maybe in evangelical circles this is still like doesn't feel dated i don't know but just like talking about true love um and he spends a lot of time in the series it's really repetitive i watch because there's like five parts and they're all like 15 minutes or whatever he spends a lot of time talking about love and all the virtues it has it's like love is pure like love is it doesn't question you know like he's like he's like describing it and it's like i'm listening to it i'm like okay, like, according to who, like, where is this actually coming from? And how do you know these things? You know, like, it feels so intangible. Sounds like it might um, be from First Corinthians 13. You know that? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Kind. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's from the Bible. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. where it's coming from. Yeah. That's where it's coming from, Dan. Okay. <laughs> but it's just, it's very, it is very funny to watch this, like, handsome like early 20s guy with long hair like on stage like speaking really suavely about virtuous religious like ideas about love yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it's hard for me to watch that i watched i watched like a i watched part of his ted talk that he did later where he apologizes and even that's hard for me to watch because he has this he just he's, he talks like a pastor I mean, probably like what you're talking about. Like, it feels like he's up yeah. there. He's, he's yeah. giving a presentation and it's it's very hard for me to listen to. And he later became a pastor, right? Of a mega church. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I feel like we're going to talk about him and like his arc. I will also say, I wrote this down from the video. He says, he he describes dating as shallow and empty. And then he says, I've thought about it and I've realized we need God. Like, so it, it is very much like pastor speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. The whole built, the whole book is sort of built on this dichotomy of like, you're either living for yourself or you're living for God. It's like yeah. the two can't really coexist. Yeah. Uh, and also this false dichotomy of getting versus giving in right. a romantic relationship. Like you can't possibly be 
get it. You can't be giving if you're also getting, you know, it's just like, Mm. I don't experience that in my relationships. So there's a lot of either or language. Um, He says on page 19 that, you know, the Bible teaches that if we truly trust in Jesus Christ, we die to our old way of living and we can no longer live for ourselves. We now live for God and for the good of others. Right. So yeah, it's very confusing because if you're like, so if I care about myself, then I hate other people somehow. Yeah. Can we talk about the cover? Oh yeah. Dan, I want you to try to describe the cover. (laughs) Well, okay. Hannah said this cover is so iconic. So maybe Hannah, you describe like actually what's on the cover. No, I think Hannah should describe how she feels about the cover and you should okay. describe like the reality of the cover. Right, I'm gonna look I don't at know. It. I'm going to look at it real quick. Um, <laughs> I'll, also have, I'll also say a couple of things. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to see this cover with fresh eyes. Like, yeah. because to me, it, it just, I've seen it so many times. You know, like my friend right. worked at a Christian bookstore in high school. And I would go in there and it's just like, there's, you know, what felt like hundreds of copies. Right. And, um, and I don't even remember if I used to think it looked cool. I think I did. Mm. I think I thought it was cool. And yeah, that the person on it was like, I don't know, handsome. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Dan, so it's, Dan, it's like, tell us what it it's actually, like, uh, uh looks like it's like it looks almost kind of sepia um it's a man it's like the upper body of a man and he's facing the camera's facing him he's tipping his hat forward and how would we describe this hat it's a it's like a sort of fedora kind of a fedora it's like an old-timey hat it's like an old time it's like it's a humphrey book he looks like humphrey bogart and you don't you only see his lips and chin under the brim of the hat and he's like got his hand (laughs) touching the top he's like tilting his head for it forward i would describe this as like a little like the way a little boy thinks he looks like dressing up (laughs) Like uh, some suave man, you know oh my what I God. Mean? which is probably pretty apt. But he also kind of looks like a villain from like a Coen Brothers movie or something. Right. Like, it kind of, it's sort of, it's giving like, you know, this tired private investigator is like <laughs> turning in his... I don't know what a private investigator would turn in, but it's like he's retiring at the ripe age of like 16, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a really bonkers cover. I really encourage everyone to look it up if you can. Right. But it feels very like you're looking at an adult, you know, which makes sense that he would want to portray, portray it that way. Well, it's funny when you played that clip of him talking back then, his voice sounds like he, his way of speaking is so affected. Like it really feels like yeah. he's putting on like a personality that he thinks is the yeah. right personality to sell his message, totally. which really lines up with the image on the book where he is sort of trying to embrace this old fashioned debonair person. Who's like almost like a Cary Grant or I don't know, like where he's totally. like, no, like I know what's happening. Like, I, I don't know. Totally. He also in that, in I, that talk. Oh, sorry, Justin. Yeah, I love that you said that. I feel like, yeah, that's a big part of his message in the book is like, 
let's get back to the good old days, mm-hmm. right? Of like where it was the front porch instead of the back seat, you know? He's like, I'm trying to look for the quote. Um, I can't find it. So Dan, say what you were going to say. Well, he tells this story in the talk where he's like, "Uh, me, he's like me. I've always been in love with being in love or like, I've always been in love with love. And he's like, he's like, I'm such a romantic. And he tells the story about being a little kid on the playground with this little girl. And you're like, oh God, where's this going? Um, but, and he's like, and I, we were, I was pretending to be a superhero and I was telling her that I would get drained of my superhero powers. And the only thing that would give me my powers back was if were kisses on the cheek. <laughs> and so I would, and he was like, he was like, it's clear that he, like, he thinks this story is crushing. He's like, I was, I kept losing my powers like every three seconds, you know? (laughs) So you could manipulate people from a very young age. Right. Right. So you were born for this manipulation job. (laughs) Okay, cool. But yeah, no, it's like he, yeah, like the old fashionedness of the cover really is so apt for the message Mm -hmm. that he's touting in the book, which is like, yearning for the good old days of like when quote, and I'm quoting here a guy and a girl, of course, cause in the book, it's always a guy and a girl. It's, it's very hetero, obviously a guy and a girl only became romantically involved if they planned to marry. So that's like the, the standard that he's setting up mm-hmm. is don't, don't expect to get affection from a girl, like your like undivided affection from a girl, unless you like you're planning to marry her. Yeah. He also says in his Ted talk, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, we'll talk more about like him now. Um, but he but says wait, that, I, before that, I want to have, okay. I wanted one, Justin to tell one more anecdote before we move oh, on please. to the now. Is that <laughs> okay? Or should we do that <laughs> now? No, of no? course. No, okay. do it. No, please. Well, just because like, um, I'm going to lead up to it. So okay. to me, like one of the trickier, like parts of this is that, you know, it's funny, but really it like, it sets people up for like a lot of self-shame as we've talked about, but also like no education about what actually like a healthy, you know, a sexual experience would be right. Like just no information, no preparation for that at all. Um, and like, in fact, it really, I think for a lot of people, I've talked with people that have said this, not necessarily this book exactly, but like the culture, because this is really a representation of like the culture. Like I heard that same like story about like walking down the aisle and suddenly there's six people or whatever, like in a different way at church, like for youth group, like that story was told over and over again that like you're going to damage yourself. You're going to spiritually irreparably damage yourself by having sex or giving your heart to someone before you're supposed to do it to, for your, like your spouse who God has chosen for you. Um, and so a lot of people like really to cope would do things like separate themselves, not be in tune with their own bodies, not be in tune with their own sexualities. And then you're, you know, get married. And 
what happens then? It's like suddenly like, like that you're supposed to be in touch with your sexuality and have a healthy relationship and be able to have sex with someone without shame. It just like does not work that way. And, but there's this whole like myth that's also perpetuated with this whole idea about waiting, waiting, waiting. And the whole idea is that if you wait long enough, right. And if, and if you meet the person that God wants you to be with, guess what's waiting for you? Mind blowing, banging all the time. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) Justin, I want you oh to tell God. that story yes. about, because I don't, I yes. don't remember that story because I didn't read the other book, but yes. he has okay. a funny anecdote. Yes. Oh my God. So this is, <laughs> I hope, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this because it's the most hilarious thing that I've ever heard. But, um, so me as like a 17 year old, I'm reading Josh Harris's second book, which is called Boy Meets Girl. And in it, he meets Shannon who is like, God made Shannon for me, Josh, you know, not Josh made, not God made Josh for Shannon. (laughs) Well, maybe it was, it was like, we were made for each other. Right. It's still problematic. It's like, anyway. So in this book, there was a couple of things that like, I like carry with me to this day. And I'll share a couple of things because I think now is the time, but he talks about how, um, after he and Shannon are dating for a while, she has this very tearful conversation with him where she reveals that she's not in fact a virgin and doesn't beg for his forgiveness, but he, in the book, the impression that I was left with was that he gave his forgiveness, you know, because he's such a good guy. And, um, she was damaged. She was damaged. Good. She was impure, filthy, but he was like, you know, I understood and we moved past it kind of thing. Um, so they get married and it's wonderful. You know, they've courted their way into marriage the way that he in I kiss dating goodbye says is the best way to, um, get to know someone, um, courtship being defined as you get the family involved. The end goal is marriage and, um, there's no lusting, there's no kissing, there's no touching, blah, blah, blah. Um, so (laughs) we could probably cut out everything I just said. The main, (laughs) the main juice is that, He talks about their honeymoon in the book. <laughs> He's like, you know, these modern secular couples, I feel so sad for them. Like I feel so bad for them because they on their honeymoons, they have to schedule all these activities. They have to schedule scuba diving. They have to schedule uh paddleboarding. They have to do rock climbing. But you know, me and Shannon, like we didn't leave our hotel room the whole time because we were, he doesn't say this because he says, but he means like we were fucking the whole time <laughs> because it was just so good. The sex was so good and we were so into it. So that really stuck with me as, cause I was like, 
I don't want to have to schedule all these activities like because I'm too. bored of sex. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. I don't even like rock climbing. Yeah. I was like, well, I better like save myself so that there's something to look forward to. You know? It's such an interesting image because, and it's funny that it's like the scheduling he's focused on. You know what I mean? <laughs> But it's like these people like really depressed, like rock climbers. <laughs> right. We have nothing else to do but rock climb. We're just and, filling time. And play pickleball. Too bad we had all that sex before we were married. Damn. Yeah. Now there's yes. no sex that's left to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was a great, great That's book. amazing. He said, he said in the TED Talk that at age 20, he knelt in his parents' living room in Oregon and prayed to God. And he said, God, let me write a book that will change the world. Um, Oops. Yeah. You have to, you have to really qualify when you say change, you have to say like for the better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like that, like, you know, indicates what it is, right? It's like he packaged these ideas that there was a huge audience for and him being like a young man saying these things left a big impression on people or like really was able to deliver the message in a powerful way. Yeah. So he originally, this this book was actually sort of a talk or sort of a sermon that he gave to the congregation of, I think the church that he was part of or some church. And I I can't actually, now I'm sort of confused on the details, but... He basically gave a talk, I think, first about how great homeschooling was for him. And it's like, isn't it so great that my parents homeschooled me and look at me, I'm this, you know, shining example of what homeschooling your children can do and raising a godly child. And he gave that talk to a congregation and got a standing ovation mm-hmm. from everyone there. And now with all of his years of reflection and hindsight, he sees that those parents were, were giving him a standing ovation because they were like, that's what I wish my kid was like, Mm. you know, seeing him. And then, um, he also then as, as he's developing these ideas about dating, then he wrote this this article for Christian magazine or like a homeschooling magazine that he started that then got him this book contract. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, as I list, I will get into sort of how he did this 180, but he has this reflection um, about why this book was so successful. And he says that, you know, quote, if you can tap in, if you can call people to a higher standard and tap into that fear that I'm not trying hard enough, that I'm not really loving God enough, I'm not sacrificing enough, there's always going to be another person coming along with a book or a conference to sell that is going to tap into that and say, you're right, you're not doing enough. Let me show you how you can do more. So it's this sort of like spiritual or religious perfectionism that it's like, you know, you think you're being pure, but let's move the needle a little further. And now the standard is up here. And are you living up to that? And that really is going to like sell and make people with a message, a lot of money. 
that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.